ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so we talked about going into prostration and we talked about the issue of whether you're supposed to go with your hands first or your knees first we spoke about the actual prostration itself so then we're now at the stage where you come out of the prostration the first prostration and you sit the middle sitting and then go into the second prostration we're on that section now so it says here the sitting between the two prostrations thumma yarfa'u ra'sahu min as-sujud mukabbiran ghair rafi' yadayhi fayajlis bayna as-sajdatayn biqadri sujudi the Sheikh says, from your prostration, your first prostration, you then raise your head out of it, at the same time you are saying, Allahu Akbar as you come out. And on this one, the Sheikh says, you do not raise your hands. You just come out of it, saying Allahu Akbar as you come out of it, without raising your hands and then you sit how long do you sit you have to come up in the proper sitting position comfortable sitting properly not as people do just flick halfway and go down you come all the way and sit but how long do you sit for Bones are settled. Roughly, roughly it should be how long your sajda was. If your sujood, you took whatever time you took, you come up, you sit, your sitting time should be roughly about the same. It shouldn't be you do a really long sajda and then you come up one second, the dua quickly down again for another really long sajda. There should be in between a rough time period similar or close to the actual prostration time period. Rawa al-Bukhari عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه ثم يكبر حين يسجد ثم يكبر حين يرفع رأسه That hadith in Bukhari tells us that he used to say Allahu Akbar as he came up. In the hadith of Ibn Umar radiyallahu anhuma wala yaf'alu dhalika hina yasjud wala hina yarfa'u ra'sahu min as-sujud it tells us that you don't raise your hands when you're coming out of the prostration or going into the prostration no raising of the hands but you do say Allahu Akbar and in the hadith of al-bara radiyallahu anhu 
كان ركوع النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وسجوده وإذا رفع رأسه من الركوع وبين سجدتين قريبا من السواء that the ruku' of the Prophet ﷺ and the sujood of the Prophet ﷺ and when he used to come out of the ruku' the standing part and when he used to come out of the sujood the first one, the sitting part those four things when he was actually in ruku' the time period he would spend in ruku' was roughly the same as the time period he would stand, he would spend when coming out of the ruku and standing. So how long do you stand for before going into the prostration? Roughly the same time you spent actually in ruku. Then when you go down into the prostration, how long should the prostration be? The same time roughly of how long your ruku was, which is the same time roughly of how long you were Standing before going into sujood. All three of them roughly the same time. Then when you come out of the sujood, the first one, and you sit, that should also be roughly the same time. <laughs> Those four parts of the prayer have a rough similar time to them. How much time you spend in those positions. Ruku' sujood, coming out of ruku' and standing, coming out of the sujood and sitting before the second one, all of those parts of the prayer, the amount of time you spend in them is roughly the same. So it's wrong when people do a long ruku' then Long ruku' and then a quick standing and then you're down. The standing part, take your time, relax. If you've done a really long ruku' standing, coming up, do your dua carefully, slowly, it should be something similar. Not a really long ruku' and then a tiny stand and down again. And the sujood the same. Don't do a long sujood. And then you come up for one second sit and then down into another long sujood. That sitting part should have some type of relevance to how long you're sitting in your or prostrating in the sujood. So that is about the timings. Now the actual method of prostrating. The actual method of prostrating. Uh, not the prostrating, the sitting. The actual method of the sitting. You are now in the sitting position between the two prostrations. How do you sit in that middle sitting? Yaftarish qadamahu al yusra. The left foot is put down flat. So that you are <coughs> sitting on it. The left foot is down flat and you're like sitting on it. Yansibul qadam al-yumna min al-janib al-ayman. As for the right foot, that is lifted up, that is propped up. You prop up the right foot. يَجْعَلْ بُطُونَ أَصَابِعَهَا إِلَى الْأَرْضِ وَعَقِبَهَا إِلَى فَوْقِ The toes are on the ground, but the heel is up. 
That's how you prop it up. Toes are on the ground, but the heel is up. أَمَّا الْيُسْرَى فَيَكُونُ ظَهْرُهَا إِلَى الْأَرْضِ وَبَطْنُهَا إِلَى الْإِنسَانِ As for your left foot, the top of the foot should be on the ground or facing up. The top of your left foot when you're sitting down is where? On the ground, because you're sat on the back of your foot. When you sit down, imagine now when you're sitting, the top side of the foot is what touches the ground, and then it's your heel and the back of the foot. That's facing upwards. That's how you do it when you're sitting. Uh, in Al-Bukhari from Abdullah ibn Abdullah ibn Umar Annam kana yara Abdullah ibn Umar radiyallahu anhuma yatarabba'u fi salati idha jalas fafa'altuhu wa ana yawma idhin hadithu sin fanahani Abdullah ibn Umar waqal innama sunnatu salah أن تنصب رجلك اليمنى وتثني اليسرى فقلت إنك تفعل ذلك فقال إن رجلي لا تحملاني It's mentioned that Abdullah, the son of Abdullah ibn Umar, saw Abdullah ibn Umar sitting with legs crossed. Sitting with his legs crossed, not sitting with the foot propped up and how we described so Abdullah, the son of Abdullah ibn Umar, did that one day too. But Abdullah ibn Umar said to him, no. He said, the sunnah is to prop up your right foot and sit on your left one. So Abdullah ibn Abdullah said to him, but I saw you do it. He said, the only reason I was sitting in that other way was because my legs can no longer carry me. So if somebody is elderly in age, they're weak, they're not able to prop up their foot anymore, then you don't have to prop it up. If you're not able to do that with your foot anymore, you can't prop it up anymore, then you can sit with it in a, in a flat position or another position if you're unable to burden the weight because when you prop it up, there's a bit of weight on that side. When you're sitting and your right foot is propped up, there will be some weight onto that foot and the other weight on the left foot. If that is a difficult posture for you, because of age or weakness or some other reason like that, then it's permissible to sit without having to prop it up. But otherwise, if you're capable, the sunnah is prop it up and sit flat on the other one. The toes of the right one that is propped up should be facing the qibla. وَاسْتِقْبَالُهُ بِأَصَابِعِهَا الْقِبْلَةِ in An-Nasai, Hadith of Ibn Umar, that the toes face towards the Qibla. What about sitting up with both feet like propped up? Or both feet flat together, not one propped and one sitting, but both the same. Is that allowed? Some people do it, you see it a lot. It is allowed. Both propped like that, it is allowed. Uh, and it's mentioned in a narration, قُلْنَا لِبْنِ عَبَّاسِ فَلِقْعَا عَلَى الْقَدَمَيْنِ فَقَالَ هِيَ السُنَّةِ فَقُلْنَا إِنَّا لَنَرَاهُ جَفَاءً بِالرَّجُلِ فَقَالَ ابْنِ عَبَّاسِ بَلْ هِيَ سُنَّةُ نَبِيِّكَ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمُ So Ibn Abbas mentioned it is allowed to do that. Both feet in that position. Then, 
Where are the hands? The left one is on top of the left thigh, the right one is on top of the right thigh, and they are at the ends of the thighs onto the knees. Ends of the thighs onto the knees. And what about the right hand? What's the position of the right hand and the right fingers? <coughs> what about this? You make a ring So, with the right hand, there are different ways of doing it. يَقْبِضُ مِنْهَا الْأَصَابِعِ الثَّلَاثَةِ الْخَنْصَرِ وَالْبَنْصَرِ وَالْوُسْطَى Three fingers, you can clasp them, grasp them. What's the word used there? Point number five. Clench, huh? clench, clench the three fingers. Clench the three fingers together. And I translated it too. And I forgot the words now. Clench the three fingers together. So you can put those together, grasp them, clench them together. Then there are two left. With the, uh, sorry, the, yeah. Clench the three fingers. Then what do you do with the remaining two? Wa insha'a. قبض الخنصر والبنصر وحلق الإبهام مع الوسطى. So firstly, you can clench the three fingers and put the thumb upon them. That's the first one. Clench the three fingers and put the thumb onto them. So it's just this finger by itself left. All the other four are together like. All the other four are together. The three smaller fingers, or the, the smallest, the next one, the middle one, and the thumb. The only one sticking up is the <coughs> index finger. That is one way. The alternative way is that you clench the two small fingers, and then you make a ring with the thumb and the middle finger. You touch your thumb onto the middle finger, and then you're left with your index still up. The index is up and the middle finger and the thumb are clenched, are in a circle touching each other at the end, and the other two are clenched at the bottom. That is another possible way. وَإِن شَاءَ قَبَضَ الْخِنْصَرِ وَالْبِنْصَرِ وَحَلَّقَ الْإِبْهَامَ مَعَ الْوُسْطَى فَوَصَلَ رَأْسَهَا بِرَأْسِهَا كَالْحَلْقَةِ وَيَرْفَعُ السَّبَّاحَ وَيُحَرِّكُهَا Then the question is, that part no problem, either that or like that. Either like that, all the fingers clenched with just the index up, or the thumb and the middle finger joined into a circle and the index finger up. What do you do with the index finger? Do you move it or do you not move it is the question. Do both. Cool. This now, there's a difference of opinion between the scholars regarding what you should do with your index finger in that situation. Some scholars say, don't move it at all. It just stays there. It just stays there. No movement. That's the opinion of some scholars. 
Some scholars say you constantly throughout keep moving it. That's an opinion. Constantly whilst you're sitting, keep moving it. Keep uh, shaking it. There's a third opinion, which is what? Circles. Uh, circles, okay, that's something some of them say. But there's another issue about the movement of when you do the movement. When? In the dua parts. They say you sit still. But when you're reading the tashahud and everything, when you get to dua parts, when there's a dua, then move your finger on the dua parts. That's in fact what the Sheikh mentions here. When you get to the dua parts, move it. Otherwise it stays still. Dua parts, move it. Otherwise still. So you have these different opinions. Some say you don't move it at all. There is no movement. You just stay still. Others say keep moving it all the time whilst you're sitting. Others say keep it still. But when you get to certain parts of the tashahud and everything, those certain parts you move it on and then keep it still again after that. Certain other parts you move it on, keep it still again after that. The dua parts you move it on. The Shaykh's opinion, you only move it at the dua parts. He says you don't constantly keep moving it. And you don't constantly keep it still. But you move it at the time of dua. That's what he mentions. So, there's one issue here though that you don't or you haven't mentioned it. Where are we in the prayer? So you do that in between the two sujuds? So when is all this? After the second prostration. So how come the Sheikh is talking about all of this now already? We're only on the first prostration yet. This is first prostration finished and you're sitting down, you're going to go to your second prostration. Sheikh is already talking about all this finger thing. Is it coming to a conclusion that you need to do that in this prostration? Some scholars have that conclusion. In the sitting between the two prostrations, they say that same thing applies. You do your finger thing. They say, what's the evidence in the sitting between the two prostrations you keep it flat? Who told you keep it flat? Where have you learned that from? Sheikh al says, normally when you sit, what do you do normally? When you're sitting in the last tashahud, that's what you do. Now in between the two prostrations, like we said before, there's either standing, there's bowing, there's rukur, or there's sitting. What are you doing now? Sitting. So in the sitting, your finger is supposed to be like that. So according to the Sheikh, and according to some scholars, you do that even in the two sittings, in the sitting in between the two prostrations. Many scholars, of course, they say that you don't. Many say you just keep it flat. In between the two prostrations, you just put your hands down flat. And you only do that at the end, <coughs> after the second prostration in the tashahud. But the Sheikh, he mentions here that uh, he concluded in the end after research that his opinion is you do that in the two prostrations in between as well. But like we said, many of the scholars, they hold the opinion that you don't do that in between the two prostrations. You just keep your hands flat.
He says here, أكثر العلماء على أنها تكون مبسوطة. Majority of the scholars, they say you just keep it flat there. But then Ash-Shaykh Al-Uthaymeen says, on his opinion, لكن لا تستطيع أن تثبت أن الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم كان يبسطها على فخمه. He said you're not going to be able to prove that though. He says you won't be able to prove that the Prophet ﷺ used to keep his right hand flat on his uh, thigh and knee in between the two prostrations. The Shaykh, as far as he can see, he says you won't be able to prove that. He says there is no proof showing that's what he used to do. If there is no proof showing that's what he used to do, then you go back to the default and the default is when you're sitting, your right hand is like that. In the final tashahud, we've been told that's what you do. The hands, the finger, index finger up. That's the default. If you can't prove otherwise, you have to stick to the default. And that's what the shaykh is saying. You can't prove otherwise, he says. You cannot prove that in that part of the sitting, the minor sitting in between the two prostrations, that he used to keep his fingers flat. Where's the proof for that, he says. And if you can't definitively establish proof that he did that, you got to stick to the default, which is that index finger up. So that is the opinion of the Sheikh. However, the majority of the scholars do hold the opinion based upon evidences that they have that it is flat when you're sitting in between the two prostrations. What do you say? That's the next question now. What do you say in that sitting? So what do you say? Rabbil Hirli. That is one of the statements that can be said. Rabbil Hirli. And there are others. Rabbil Hirli. Warhamni. Wahdini. Wajburni. Wahafini. Warzukni. These different du'as can be read at that time. There is a hadith of Hudayfa that he used to say, Rabbighfirli, Rabbighfirli. Twice. Rabbighfirli, Rabbighfirli. Ibn Abbas, it's mentioned, he used to say, Rabbighfirli, Warhamni, Warfa'ani, Warzuqni, Wahdini. And in one narration even, Wajburni. So there were some extras that can be added on to that. They are mentioned in some narrations. But the minimum a person should do at least is Rabbighfirli, Rabbighfirli. Oh my Lord, forgive me. Oh my Lord, forgive me. After that then, you're going to say what? Allahu Akbar. And you're going to go into Second prostration and the rulings of the second prostration are, of course, identical to the rulings of the first prostration. <coughs> After that second prostration, then what happens? Sit down again. You finished one rak'ah now. After you come out of the prostration, where are you going next? Back up to start your second rak'ah. Is there any issue to be mentioned here? Jalsa to istiraha. When you come out of the second prostration, you've just finished one rak'ah now. You've said Allahu Akbar, 
and you're coming out of your second prostration and you're going to get up to start your second rak'ah. As you say Allahu Akbar and you come out of the second prostration, do you momentarily sit and then stand up? Or do you come out of that prostration, Allahu Akbar, straight up in one movement? Is it out of the prostration, straight up in one movement? Or is it out of the prostration, momentarily, very momentarily, you're sat down again in the position you were in between the two prostrations, very momentarily, and then you move off and get up in two movements then. Do you go up to the second rak'ah in one movement or in two movements? So everybody is saying you come out of the second sujood, you temporarily have that little sit down, then you get up to the second rak'ah. Both? What do you mean? Sometimes do this, sometimes do that? Sunnah to do what? Uh-huh. So let's have a look at this one then. This is also another one of those differences of opinion. ثُمَّ يُكَبِّرْ فَيَقُومْ إِلَى رَكَعَةِ الثَّانِيَ عَلَى صُدُورِ قَدَمَيْهِ مُعْتَمِدًا عَلَى رُكْبَتَيْهِ بِدُونِ جُلُوسِ The opinion, the first opinion the Sheikh mentions is that you say Allahu Akbar and in one movement go straight up. Don't sit down. Allahu Akbar, one movement, everything just straight up. That is one opinion. And that is mentioned by Al-Imam Ahmed. The other opinion, of course, which is mentioned by Al-Imam Shafi'i, is that you have a small sit. You come out into the sitting position temporarily, momentarily. Then you move off and get up and stand up. This temporary, momentary sitting is known as the sitting of rest. It, it breaks up your movement of having to stand up, gives you that tiny break. You come out, you're sat in the sitting position, then you move off with your second movement to get up. gives you that tiny break. Hence, it's known as the sitting of the rest. Jalsa to istiraha. Istiraha means resting. So you get that tiny rest. Move into sitting, tiny rest, then stand up. So that is what it is known as. The, t- the small resting uh, sitting. What, what does it say? In the section where it says the second raka'ah. Sitting of rest. Sitting of rest. Ah, the sitting of rest. That small sitting of rest. The opinions of the scholars regarding that some of them say there are various opinions. Opinion number one. We've said some of them say that it is mustahab all of the time. Mustahab all of the time. That is an opinion. It is mustahab all of the time. Whenever you pray after the first rak'ah and also after the Third rak'ah, in a four rak'ah prayer, it is mustahab, it is recommended for you to take that small break, that small 
sitting of rest before standing up. Another opinion is that it is not sunnah at all. It is not sunnah at all. So some of the scholars, they say, like Imam Ahmad, they say it is not sunnah at all. You should get up in one movement. Others, they say it is sunnah all the time. Do it. And some of them say it is sunnah in some circumstances and not in others. What are the circumstances? So far, basically, we've got two opinions. One telling you, yes, do it. One telling you, no, don't do it. There's a third opinion that says, you can do it, but in certain circumstances only. What are those circumstances? Old age. Old age and difficulty. That's true. The Prophet wasallam, when he used to pray, did he used to do this sitting of rest or not? Initially, for years, he never used to do it. He only started doing it right at the end. When he became a bit older and it became a bit more difficult to come straight out in one flowing movement and stand up. So then it becomes easier to sit up first, then from there make another movement to stand up. So the Prophet ﷺ only started doing this in the elderly age. He never used to do it initially. That's why you've got the difference of opinion. Some scholars say the Prophet ﷺ only started doing the Jalsatul Istiraha because of his elderly age. And therefore you only do it if there is a need, necessity. They say first the Prophet ﷺ never used to do it. And that's true, he never used to do it. If you look at the hadith, first he never used to do it. Only towards the end of his life when he became older, he started doing it. So some scholars say that proves something. It proves that he only started doing it when he had a need for it. Elderly age, a bit more difficult. And so he started doing the istiraha jalsa before standing up. So they say, if you're good and fit and healthy, you don't do it. Just get up in one movement. If you become old or there's a problem and you need to do it, then in that circumstance you can. That's an opinion. Other opinion, like we said, they said no. You can do it anytime and you should do it anytime. It's a sunnah, do it all the time. Whether you need to or not. Because they say, just because the Prophet ﷺ only started doing it at the end of his lifetime, is that a proof 100% that he therefore was doing it because of old age? What if the revelation just came at the end of his lifetime? What if that was one of the last pieces of revelation later on? How can we prove that he only started doing it at the end of his lifetime because it became difficult to get up in one movement? Do we know that for definite? That's an assumption, isn't it? We can see from the hadith that the Prophet ﷺ never used to do Jalsatul Istiraha. He only started doing it at the end of his lifetime. So some scholars have assumed... They have guessed that the Jalsatul Istiraha must be if you're old and you're weak and you need to sit down. Because the Prophet ﷺ only started doing it when he became old. That's only a guess. It's an assumption. The Prophet ﷺ never said 
to any of the companions, notice now I'm doing the jalsa today because I'm old and I can't get up. He never said to anybody. So we don't know that for definite. It's an assumption. So some scholars say, no, we're not going to go on this assumption. We're not going to use your assumption. We're just going to use the very apparent, blatant act of the Prophet ﷺ. What was his act? How did he used to pray before he died? He used to do the jalsatul istiraha. They say that was the final method of how he taught us how to pray. Jalsatul istiraha was in it. Before he died, he used to do jalsatul istiraha. Initially he never, but when he died prior to that, he was doing jalsatul istiraha. That final method of the prayer, that must be the final overall method of the prayer then. So we'll stick to that. So every time do jalsatul istiraha. That can make sense too. It can make sense too. They can say, you can't prove he started doing that because of old age. Maybe that was just the revelation now. That was the new revelation. How can you prove he was only doing it because of old age? He never said that. So we're going to leave it open. We're going to leave it open. The Prophet ﷺ used to do Jalsatul Istiraha. All of you do Jalsatul Istiraha. So that's an opinion. Therefore you have these differences about it. About whether it should be done or it shouldn't be done. Okay, if you do do it, what's the dua that you read when you do it? If you do do it, then what is the dua that you're supposed to read when you do it? Anybody? What's the dua that you read when you do the jalsatul istiraha? If anybody gets it, you can have a nice big, mashallah, 59 plate Persia. What is it? <laughs> Naim's car. What's the dua? Naim's car. Anybody? That's why nobody's going to win the prize. There is no dua. There is no dua for Jalsatul Istiraha. There is no dua, there's nothing in the sunnah. That's why some scholars, they say, that's another proof that you're not supposed to do it unless there's a need. They say, if it was a sunnah to do jalsatul istiraha, then there would have been some dua or something to read there too. No dua, no nothing. Therefore, they say, you should only be doing it if you have a need and a necessity. Otherwise, there's no dua, there's nothing. Why are you going to do it? So, that's a difference of opinion regarding... Whether you should do that or not. Then. <coughs> repeats. The method. There's one issue now. When you stand up to start your second rak'ah. There's one thing you're going to do different to your first rak'ah. What's the thing you're going to do different? Dua al-istiftah. When you first started your first rak'ah, you started with as a sunnah dua al-istiftah. The opening supplication, subhanakallahumma bihamdika, whichever one. When you start your second one, do you start with that again? That one you don't do in the second one. What about, where do you start from then? Do you start from, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, Alhamdulillah. 
or just Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Alhamdulillah or just Alhamdulillah where do you start the second rak'ah from? So either Alhamdulillah or Bismillah but not A'udhu Billah from there. أَمَّا التَّعَوِّضُ عِنْدَ الْقِرَاءَةِ فِي الرَّكَعَةِ الثَّانِيَةِ وَفِي الرَّكَعَةِ الثَّالِثَةِ وَالرَّابِعَةِ فَإِنَّ الْعُلَمَةَ اخْتَلَفُوا فِيهِ The scholars, they differed about whether you have to start it with أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ or not. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله, that no problem. But do you say that أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ again as well or not? That part they differed about. Some of them they say, Every raka'ah when you start, you should start from A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Some of them say you should start with A'udhu Billah from every raka'ah But some of them say You only say A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem Only in the beginning first raka'ah In the beginning first raka'ah And you don't need to say it again in the second, third, fourth You can just start Bismillah and carry on from there. Imagine somebody did do it in every raka'ah. Is it a problem? Not necessarily. The shaykh says it's not necessarily an issue if somebody did do a'udhu billah from there every raka'ah when they begin it. But really, that only is required in the first raka'ah. It's not required in the other raka'at. And the other ones you can start from bismillah and carry on with al-fatiha from there. What's another thing that's slightly different about the second raka'ah compared to the first raka'ah? Mm. So the second raka'ah overall should be slightly shorter than the first raka'ah. What's one of the biggest ways you're going to make the second raka'ah shorter than the first raka'ah? The surah. After al-fatiha, it's mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ used to recite, for example, 30 ayahs in the first raka'ah after Fatiha. In the second one, he only used to recite 15 ayahs. So that would obviously make the second raka'ah shorter than the first raka'ah. That's a general sunnah. The second raka'ah should be shorter than the first <coughs> raka'ah. So the second one's going to be a bit shorter than the first one. There's a hadith in Bukhari, Abu Qatada, يُطَوِّلُ فِي الرَّكَعَةِ الْأُولَى مَا لَا يُطَوِّلُ فِي الرَّكَعَةِ الثَّانِيَةِ That he used to make the first raka'ah longer than what he used to do for the second raka'ah. وَكَانَ يُطَوِّلُ فِي الرَّكَعَةِ الْأُولَى مِنْ صَلَاةِ الظُّهْرِ وَيُقَصِّرُ فِي الثَّانِيَةِ وَيَفْعَلُ ذَلِكَ فِي صَلَاةِ السُّبْحِ In Dhuhr prayer it mentions in this hadith, the first raka'ah used to be longer than the second one. And the same, he used to do the first raka'ah of Fajr, longer than the second one. So the first raka'ah is longer, and the second one is supposed to be shorter. Then when you've done the rest of the raka'ah, same as the first one, now after the second sujood, the second frustration, now you're going to do what? Now it's the tashahud. ثُمَّ يَجْلِسْ لِلْتَشَهُدْ بَعْدَ الرَّكَعَتَيْنِ كَجُلُوسِهِ بَيْنَ السَّجْدَتَيْنِ فِي كَيْفِيَةِ الْيَدَيْنِ وَفِي كَيْفِيَةِ الرِّجْلَيْنِ إِلَّا فِي الْيَقْعَاءِ وَيَضَعُ يَدَيْهِ عَلَى فَخِذَيْهِ كَوَضْعِهِمَا فِي الْجُلُوسِ بَيْنَ السَّجْدَتَيْنِ So when you sit down now, how do you sit down exactly as we described earlier? 
left foot down, right one propped up, hands on the knees, right one into the circle with your middle finger and thumb and the other fingers clenched and the index finger up, or all of the fingers clenched basically with just the index finger up. Then the recitation. The recitation. At-tahiyyatu lillahi wa salawatu wa tayyibat. As-salamu alayka ayyuhan nabiyu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. As-salamu alayna wa ala ibadillahi salihin. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa Allah. Wa ashhadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasooluh. That is what you recite. Everybody knows that. The question is, does everybody know the meaning of all of it? So now then, at the beginning you say, At-Tahiyyatu Lillah. Translation. All the compliments and best regards, prayers and good things are due to Allah. All the compliments, best regards, praise are due to Allah. At-Tahiyyat, kullu lafzin yu'azzam bihil muhayya. It is praising Allah and it is glorifying Allah. At-tahiyyatu lillah. So when you say at-tahiyyatu lillah, it's like you're saying all of the greatness is for Allah. That's what it means. All of the greatness is for Allah. He is the one who deserves it and He is the one who specifically has it. All of that greatness is for Allah. He is the one deserving of greatness. And he has a level of greatness that nobody else is comparable to. That's what At-Tahiyyatu Lillah means. It's a glorification of Allah, affirming the greatness of Allah. At-Tahiyyatu Lillah. Was-Salawat. And the prayers. The prayers, of course, the five daily prayers, the Jumu'ah prayer, the Witr prayer, the Nawafil prayers, all of those are for... Allah, At-Tahiyyatu Lillah, the greatness is for Allah, Was-Salawat, At-Tahiyyatu Lillahi Was-Salawatu. As-Salawat, your prayers. You're saying all of the greatness is for Allah, and all of my prayers are for Allah. Then, At-Tahiyyatu Lillahi Was-Salawatu, At-Tayyibat. At-Tayyibat, the goodness, all of the goodness is for Allah. And that is referring to the attributes of Allah, the good attributes of Allah. In a narration it mentions, إِنَّ اللَّهَ طَيِّبٌ لَا يَقْبَلُ إِلَّا طَيِّبًا That Allah is good and does not accept, except the good. Allah only accepts the good and the clean and the pure. So what طَيِّبَات is talking about Allah has the best characteristics, the best attributes all of the goodness is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As-salamu alayka ayyuhan nabi. That's okay. The salam uh, upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And that means, what does it mean when you say salam be upon the Prophet sallallahu As-salamu alayka ayyuhan nabi. Yeah, but what does it mean? It means safety. May Allah preserve you. May Allah safeguard you. May Allah keep you protected. You're making a dua. 
Assalamu alayka ayyuhan nabi May Allah's protection and guardianship be upon you O Messenger of Allah And then After that Assalamu alayka ayyuhan nabi What's the next part? Assalamu alayna The salam is then upon us assalamu alayna after the full salam upon the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam assalamu alayna wa ala ibadillahi salihin that safety and guardianship of allah may be upon us and all of the righteous servants of allah so that's another type of dua you're making right there may the safety and guardianship of allah be upon us and upon all of the Righteous Muslims upon the earth. وَعَلَىٰ عِبَادِ اللَّهِ الصَّالِحِينَ And that the Shaykh says includes the inhabitants of the heavens and the earth. All of the righteous inhabitants of the heavens, the angels, and the earth, all of them within that. And then أَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَأَنَّ مُحَمَّدَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ That final part is of course... Testification of Tawheed, testification of Tawheed, testification that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah, testification that all of your worship is directed to Him alone. So these are the rough general meanings of the Tashahud. After that Tashahud, what's going to happen? That's it stuck. So then you can do that or you may stand straight up. It's not necessary to do that. It's sunnah to do that. Allahumma sallallahu Muhammad. After the second raka'ah, it's a sunnah to do that part too. The first part, you have to do. Second part, Allahumma sallallahu Muhammad, that part is a sunnah. If the imam is taking his time in the congregation, read that part too. But if the imam gets up, it's okay. You don't have to read that part. So then you get up and carry on. Then at the end, at the end, now when you do your tashahud, then you do have to read that part too. At the end, you will have to read that part too. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad. But that is the part, inshaAllah ta'ala, we'll begin with from next time. That final part of the prayer, that final section when you sit at the end. Because how you sit in that final part is different as well. And the final dua that you make, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min a'adhaab al-qabr wa min a'adhaab al-jahannam. That dua is very important to understand its meanings. What that dua means. So we'll do that next week and next week inshallah that will round off the description of the prayer. And the duas that you're supposed to do after the prayer. But once that finishes, there are still some chapters left. There are still some important details left regarding the prayer. So uh, we'll carry on next week then insha'Allah at approximately 7.15 p.m. insha'Allah ta'ala. Any questions on that? Sujood of forgetfulness, you're jumping ahead.
because there is going to be a chapter full of the prostration of forgetfulness. That's the extra chapters at the end. So hold your question. Hold your horses as they say. We'll come to that. Full chapter. When do you do the prostration of forgetfulness? There's three circumstances. Three circumstances when you do the prostration of forgetfulness. Are you supposed to do it before the salam or after the salam? Depends. Did the Prophet ﷺ ever do it? Yes, he did. There were some occasions when he forgot in the prayer. There was one time he prayed Dhuhr or Asr. After the second rak'ah, the first tashahud, he forgot and gave the salam. Thought it was the fourth one. On another occasion, after the fourth one, forgot, stood up to pray five. So these details will come to them. There's a full chapter, inshallah. Salam to Allah. Standing up? Standing up, yeah. Standing up, there's nothing mentioned. Standing up, you stand up. How do you stand up? Do you, do you help yourself? Ah, the hands, yes. Uh huh. So there are some narrations when you stand up that you're supposed to clench your hands like you're kneading dough. You know, when you knead dough, when you're making bread. When you do that with your fingers, with your hands. The, the dough, you know, the dough. When you're doing that. Flour, flour, when you get your flour and you're doing that with the flour and the, when you clench your fist. So in some narrations it mentions you do that to get up. But there's a difference of opinion about the authenticity of those narrations. Others then it just says flat. So flat or clenched, there are narrations. But there are differences about those narrations. Not necessarily there. For that part, it doesn't matter. It isn't mentioned. That's only when you're going into prostration. Out of it, it, it there's no mentioning about hands, knees first. It doesn't matter. Yeah, well, everybody can tell you they did it last week. <laughs> it wasn't. That wasn't today. That was last week. But you can get all these lectures too on the website. Oh, okay. They have a website, sabil.com. Assabil.com. You can get it from them. And all the old lectures, they put them there. So last week's, uh, whatever date last week uh, is, uh, uh, two weeks ago, or two weeks ago, but it'll be the last recording. If you listen to the last recording, that was full about that chapter. So you can listen to all the details and differences of opinion and everything there. Alright, next week then inshallah, quarter past seven. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam.